good to be here. Um, I am playing Super Grandpa this week. I am cooking and washing dishes and making beds, keeping kids on schedule, going to school award shows, um, and I am shocking my family. Amen. The only thing my wife can say is, why don't you do any of this at home? <laughs> she don't let me. Amen. But it is good to be here, and uh, I'm so thankful for the blessings of the Lord. Um, weather here is about like it is back home. They are expecting a little bit of rain, quite a bit of rain tonight, possibly a little bit of ice with that, maybe some snow, but probably not a whole lot. But uh, it's just that time of the year. Amen. And I appreciate your coming out especially knowing that your pastor was not here and that the second team was here. So I appreciate that. Uh, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and then we'll also look at Galatians chapter 4. Now, there are times that if I start chasing rabbits... I can be probably as long-winded or longer than my son. But typically, on Wednesday nights back home, we try to finish by 8 o'clock. So um, I'm watching the time, and I normally get in the pulpit just a little bit later than I have. So I, I hope to do... Uh, well in that area. So if you'll stay with me for that long, then I think we can get through here. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. This is actually a quote that comes from the Old Testament that is being fulfilled. And then in Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 3, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So let me just try to tie this together. We have in Matthew chapter 1 the birth of a Savior that is on the horizon. Mary is being told that the son that she is carrying in her is a holy child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. So that is the start of what we needed in our hope for salvation. Galatians chapter 4 says, when the fullness of time was come. So if I can, I'm just simply going to title this the triumphant march from eternity to time. And if you'll stay with me, maybe I can make a little sense of this. 
Uh, I acknowledge at the very beginning that there are limitations that I face in teaching and preaching this message. I can only describe with words the idea and the concept of the journey that was made from heaven to earth. I am restricted and restrained and tied to what you and I can understand. We relate everything to the experiences and the knowledge that we have in this world. So when I describe something, I begin generally with describing a substance or a matter. Matter comes in three forms. It is a solid, it is a liquid, and it is a gas. When I speak of something that is a solid, I can describe it by shape and by size. If it's a liquid, I might can describe it by color, but it will flow and it will adapt to whatever container that liquid is in. Gas has no boundaries unless I contain it and use pressure. Well, John 4 and 24 says that God is a spirit. His spirit moved upon the face of the earth. And if God is a spirit, it is not a solid, it is not a liquid, it is not a gas. He is this undescribable thing that you and I, no matter how we try to paint the picture in words, we are not going to be successful in describing him. When I speak of space, I can describe it in terms of length and width and height and depth and breadth. To occupy space, we use three of these to describe the physical characteristics. It was two foot tall. It was four foot long. It was one foot wide. We relate by dimensions because we live in a three-dimensional world. Psalm 139, starting at verse 7, says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So we can describe something as being on the left, being on the right. We can describe it by size and by dimensions. We can describe it by location. I can speak in terms of being up or being down, being on my right, my left, forward or backward. Any movement is described by those terms. Job said in Job 23, verse 8 and verse 9, Behold, I go backward, but he is not there. Or forward, and he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he does work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Job is trying to describe the presence of God in the same terms that you and I might try to describe him, but he fails in doing that. When I speak of time, I am talking in terms of past time, present time, or future time. Time is based upon the creation of the sun and the earth. The spinning of earth gives us day or night. The orbit of the earth gives us seasons of the year. These together give us the measurement of time. We have seconds and days and weeks and months. 
In Revelation 1 and 8, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So before time, he existed. And when time is no more in this world, he will still exist. He exists as much in yesterday as he exists in tomorrow as he exists in today. So you see the difficulty that we have in trying to describe everything that we can about God. This is what Moses started to see when he asked the question, whom shall I say sent me? Tell them I am sent you. The idea of a God who always was, where, where he's not limited by time or by space or by matter or by location. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Everything we speak of, we speak in terms of what we know in the world that we live in. And this creates for us a tremendous difficulty in understanding God. Because God is not limited by matter or substance. Because he created all of these things out of nothing. God doesn't inhabit space because the universe cannot hold his presence. Though we speak in words of location, he is everywhere when he is somewhere else. He can be here, but he can be wherever you need him to be at the same time. And so when I speak in time, again, he created time. Before there was time, there was our God. And when time is no more, God will still be. Time ages you and I, and it, it affects us. It affects our thinking. It affects our body. Our, our hair turns loose or turns white. Our, our chest begins to sink. And all of these different things happen. Our eyesight dims. That's what time does to us. But time has no effect upon God. You can't change time. You can't alter time. You can't do anything to affect time. But God just lives in the essence of time as we know it. He lives in all yesterdays. He lives in all tomorrows. And he lives in this very present moment. So that's the problem that we have in trying to describe God, this God who is going to limit himself by appearing in our world. He can come into our world and he can become our savior and a living redeemer, and yet he still is not controlled and hindered by the things that you and I are hindered by. It is amazing when you really begin to think about the greatness of God. The Bible teaches that the heavens are his throne and that the earth is his footstool. John said in John chapter 1 and verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The very substance that God would become is what he has already created. 
And, and he's existed outside of these things. You and I only know these things as his creation, but he is the creator. He doesn't need time. We need more time to get a repair made. We need more time to mature. We need more time to get a job done. But God does not need time. God is not limited by time. Time does nothing to God. You and I need to be at a certain place at a certain time. And we say all the time, I wish there were two of us. But God, he doesn't have to say that because he can be in a thousand places and still be everywhere else. So it's amazing when you begin to think about this, how he has always existed. He has the ability to create worlds and life. He was living in a place where there was no evil, in a place where there is no aging and no dying, no pain and no sorrow, no hurting and no loneliness, no, no mourning or no dying. When you think of these things, you you realize just how great God is. And then you start reading the Bible and the places where it begins to describe heaven. And you look at Isaiah chapter 6. And in the midst of a very sad time, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. That's heaven. It is not it is not limited like our world is limited. It is not limited by space. It is not limited by time. It is not limited by matter. And then you can look at Revelation chapter 4 and the first five verses. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me and said, come up hither and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. This is the habitat and the environment in which God was comfortable. This is God in his house, in his home, in the setting that, that he has chosen to be where he would abide and dwell. And just by speaking, angels stood at attention in these places, and he is always surrounded by praise and song and worship. All power belongs unto him. Eleven times in Genesis, the Bible says God said. 
God said in the world and the heavens are created. God said and the darkness is divided from light and dry ground comes and separates from water. God says and there are plants and there are birds and there are animals. God says let us make and man is in his image and a woman becomes his help me all by speaking the power of his word. He is not limited like you and I in this world. Simply by will, simply by imagining it in his mind and and designing it in his heart, God is able to separate whatever he desires to separate. For the first time in Genesis chapter 1, God walks upon water, but there's going to come a time when he's going to walk upon the Sea of Galilee. And the idea of being separated unto God, being obedient unto his word and instruction and desiring his presence is revealed in Genesis in those first few chapters. Psalm 19 and 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Revelation 4 and 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. So you have this world in heaven that is separate from this world here. This world lives by a whole different set of laws and rules than that world up there does. It is unique and it is different and it is unimaginable. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts. We have no idea. 30 minutes of silence when we get there because we are going to be so awed by everything we see and realizing that we have finally made it. And for some people in Pentecost to be quiet for 30 minutes, that is a huge miracle. But it's going to happen. And so you have eternity and you have temporal. You have the infinite and you have the finite. You have the unlimited and you have the limited. And God chooses to march from eternity into our world and into time. I've already told you of the impossible task and job to describe God in words and ways that we can understand. But let me try the best that I can to give you some mental picture of what happened on that morning when Jesus Christ was born. God, who created all things, stood at the throne of heaven, and angels watched. I see this in my mind as he looks upon this earth, and they are confused because he begins to set aside this, set aside this, this, power, this glory, this this scepter of, of kingship, this diadem, this crown that symbolizes all he is and all his power. And they, they question when he takes off that lion's crown of kingship and they whisper as he places uh, all of the, the majesty upon the throne of glory. And he steps from eternity and he dips his foot into the waters of time. He 
He looked at angels who have worshipped and bowed him through untold ages that have not been measured by time, and he starts to cross over into the dimensions which he has created that would limit him in what he is about to do. It is amazing when you think about it. I, I, I somehow in my mind imagine that from the throne room of grace to the womb of Mary, he marches past somehow that first day of creation when he moved upon the face of the, the waters of the deep. He looks on the moment when he breathes into the nostrils of man and he becomes a living soul. He watches once again on this journey as Adam and Eve partake of the forbidden fruit and then they hide their nakedness in fig leaves and bushes. He hears the words that he spoke to the serpent, cursing the serpent, promising what would happen one day, cursing the ground for the sake of man and labor in childbirth for the woman. And he smiles to hear the words that he spoke yet one more time as he enters into time and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed it shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and he knows that he is on a journey to bruise the head of this serpent he felt the pain of that first sacrifice in a way that he would experience in just 33 and a half years on Calvary in man's time in this process of coming from eternity into our world, he witnesses again the murder of Abel. He sees Noah building an ark for the saving of his family. Once again, he calls to Abraham in a covenant of faith and blessing. He watches as one more piece of the puzzle falls into place in time as he enters into time and Joseph is sold into slavery. He steps through every day of 430 years of slavery and bondage in Egypt. He inhabits a burning bush one more time as he calls to Moses to be a deliverer. He marches through Egypt on that Passover night. He parts the Red Sea yet one more time. He picks up the manna that he rains down on Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. He is struck by the rod of Moses as the water comes forth from the rock that follows them in the wilderness. He became the glory of Solomon's temple that filled the temple so that the priest could not minister. He sat in the comfortable place that you and I call the mercy seat behind the veil. He visits with David one more time in the shepherd's field. He guides the stone that directly hits Goliath in the forehead. He stands with Elijah as fire falls from heaven. Every Old Testament event, every Old Testament character, every Old Testament miracle, he marches by it in the limitation of time, space, and matter. 
because he has a destination before him. There is an obscure and small town that the prophet Micah has prophesied about. There were divine words of prophecy spoken by Isaiah that have to be fulfilled. And through the first five books of the Pentateuch, through the books of the history of Israel, into the poetic books of the Old Testament, through every moment that is captured in their pages, in the major and the minor prophets, God marches from eternity into time. He passes every transgression, every failure, every disappointment of man. Even when Pharaoh, stirred by Satan, attempts to cut off the royal bloodline of hope, God marches from eternity to a specific moment in time. He marches past all these things, all of these types and metaphors and symbols and illustrations in the Old Testament that point to his arrival in our world. God marches from eternity into time, the very thing he created. He allows himself to be touched by the limitations of time, space, and matter. And yet being touched by them, he is not subjected to the limitations of time, space, in matter. That's why he walks on water. That's why when they go to stone him, he passes through and they can't even see him. It's amazing that God comes into our world where everything is limited by what we know, but because of who he is, Brother Clinton, he is not limited by those same things. When you write the law, you can break the law. He can, he can do whatever he desires to do. He can sit with sinners and the clean does not become unclean. He can touch lepers and not be stained and be polluted because he is not subject to the time and to the matter and to the limitations of our world. And so he comes into our world and he is as much God as he would ever be, and yet he's as much man as you and I are today. There are over 400 years of darkness between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there is no divine prophecy spoken in those 400 years. There is no prophet that is raised up. There is no mention of the moving of the Spirit of God touching and moving and stirring the hearts of man. And yet God marches through that 400 plus year of darkness until he gets to what you and I, because of what we can describe by time in the New Testament. You see, he is, he is so great and and so unlimited by things that we even measure our time by the year of his birth. B.C., before Christ, or Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. We, we 
we measure it by when God chose to come from eternity into our world. He marches past centuries of human agony and all of the boasting of hell and devils sneering and Israel backsliding. He passes every sin that has ever been committed and is in the halls of time. He marched past your iniquities and sins, even though they were centuries and millenniums in the future. He passes your mistakes and your faults. And on the day he is born, though he is just an eight-pound child or eight, whatever he may have been, he is just a newborn infant he is able to look and see calvary in the distance because he is not limited by time so he marches out of the darkness of 400 years between the old and new testament into the darkness of the womb of a teenage woman who is innocent And he marches into the hands of a stepfather who is a carpenter into a stable that is meant for animals and not kings. He marches past the angel choirs singing to shepherds at watch until finally it's the right time. And Galatians says, when the fullness of the time was come, that speaks of time. He comes, sent forth as the son made of a woman. There is matter and there is space under the law, the direction of God to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sin. You see, he marches triumphantly from eternity into our world because he loves us so much that he wants to make a difference in our lives. God came to us because we couldn't come to him. We couldn't approach the heavens. We couldn't just step into the holy holy, holy place where the angels sing around the throne. We can get visions of it like Isaiah. We can be told about it when it's revealed to John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos, but you and I cannot pass out of this world into that world unless part of that world comes into our world. And when God comes into our world, Suddenly, you and I have this dilemma and this problem where we have to describe this. You ever feel uncomfortable trying to witness to a co-worker or a friend and tell them about God? This is why. Because you can only think according to what you know. But you're describing a God who is not limited by those things. If I climb a tree and I get on a weak branch and I'm 20 feet off the ground and I'm waiting for a deer to come by and my weight overcomes the laws of gravity and what that limb will support, I'm falling. I'm coming down. That's just one of the laws that is in this world. And yet, here is Jesus 
who comes into this world and he can do whatever he chooses to do to the point that the legalists of that day, the Pharisees of that day, accuse him of violating God's law. And he's trying to teach them, you don't understand. You, you are trying to go by the letter of the law, and I want you to understand the principle that is behind the law. There is a principle that existed up there that you have never gotten down here. Because you are so caught up in what you can do and what you can't do and by the laws that you try to create so that you can become better and qualify to get up into that world and it's never going to happen except through me. I have marched triumphantly through your time and through the time of everyone who's ever existed or will ever exist to arrive in Bethlehem to be born of an innocent child and to be your sacrifice for sins. I am, I am. You see, Moses, how are you going to describe this to them? I am. That literally means, I am, I am. Well, are you Kenneth O'Connell and Sean O'Connell's dad? I am. We understand that. Are you married to Nina O'Connell? I am. Do you pastor Calvary United Pentecostal Church in Gurdon? I am. We understand that. But God comes into this world, and when he says, before Abraham was, I am, they can't get that because it doesn't compute and make sense with their estimation of what time is all about. That's why Nicodemus is confused when Jesus says, you must be born again of water and of spirit. How can I be born again? Can I enter a second time? He's limited in thinking by all of the statutes and physical limitations of this world. And if you try to hold on to that, it's always going to be difficult in church and in the kingdom of God and walking with him because you're not always going to have a clear answer. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. You have to accept them, some things. You, you, you accept that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we come to him with those sins. Are you going to get a receipt? I went into Home Depot the other day, and, and uh, I was self-checking out as much as I hate to because you're putting people out of jobs. But now I'm going to talk. That's my age showing now. But anyway, uh, I, I'm there, and, and the machine is, is flashing instructions, and then it asks on the screen, do you want a receipt, or can we send this to your email address? Well, either way, I'm not going to hold on to it very long, but I've just something about it. I want something in my hand. Give me a receipt. Don't send it by email. Print me the receipt. It prints it. It goes in my pocket, probably ends up in the washing machine. But we want a receipt for everything. And when you come to God, there isn't a receipt for everything. 
Even, even when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you begin to speak those words that you've never learned before, it is an act of faith to accept that experience as being the experience. If you want a handwritten receipt, if you want a piece of paper, a baptismal certificate, you can get that from your pastor when you're buried in the name of Jesus in water, but you're not going to get something from God that says you got it. You're still operating and thinking in the limitations of this world. That which is spiritual cannot be understood by that which is carnal. So you just have to accept it. And if Jesus is able to come into a world where we have these limitations and reveal to us that those limitations do not work on him, They do not limit him. They do not hinder him. They don't make him less of God. Do you think for one moment that that baby in Bethlehem, God in flesh, was only in that stable at that particular moment? He was still everywhere. But we have a hard time dealing with that because we can't do that. And God triumphantly begins to march and merge eternity with time. He came to us. We were lost. We were without hope. He entered into the dimensions that we live in because we needed a God to enter into those dimensions. Because we couldn't get the necessary sacrifice. We would never be worthy to enter into his glory. But the God who created us becomes God in action as described in John chapter 1. In the beginning is the word. The word was with God. The word was God. John 1 and 14. And the word is made flesh. At Calvary, he becomes God for us. He takes all the sins of the world upon himself and they are nailed to that cruel tree and he is lifted between heaven and earth. So you have God in action. You have God for us. And then I On the day of Pentecost, he becomes God in us. Now, up until this time, he's a God we can meet at an altar with a sacrifice. He's a God we can pray to. And if we have his favor, we can get an answer to our prayer. He's a God that can move upon us and we can do supernatural things, call fire down from heaven like Elijah or kill a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a mule. We can do those things as the Spirit of, but the Spirit of the Lord never stayed upon anybody until Acts chapter 2. And then this God, who cannot be limited by the universes he created, chooses to abide in us. He marches one more time from eternity into our world, and he touches us. The God of eternity became the God of time to redeem us from the curse of sin and the power of death. All that he created 
while touching him did not take any of his power away. His presence that was able to call Lazarus out of the tomb had already been in fellowship on the other side of death with that same one he called out of the grave. When he wept, he didn't just weep because of the the heartache he felt for Mary and Martha. He wept because he was bringing back Lazarus into this world that is limited by time, space, matter. He was calling him out of a world where there were no limitations. Emmanuel, God who came among us, as much God as we would ever need, and as much an innocent man as God's righteousness would demand for sin. The propitiation, the sacrifice for all the blemishes and stains and corruptions and terrors of sin. In, in those limited few pounds of flesh that Mary held that first morning was the God who created all things now in the hands of his creation. So when you read things like 1 Timothy 3.16, it causes you to look and to marvel at the wonderful truth that is in there. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now listen as Paul describes that. He's describing it in terms you and I can understand. Manifest in flesh. Well, you could see him. You knew he was here. You couldn't deny his presence. He was justified in the spirit. He had God's favor upon him. You, you, had, you had this pure and innocent life that went to Calvary, seen of angels. Jesus said, I can call ten legions of angels right now, and I could be delivered if it's what I so choose. He was preaching to the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. He was received up into glory. And this God, loved us so much that he chose to march from eternity into time to be what you and I needed. And his greatest gift is not his appearing or his coming. It is the gift of salvation that was purchased by that body that was required to be our sacrifice. And so Peter preaches on the first morning of the birth of God's church, and they're convicted. And men and brethren, what, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we stand. God marches triumphantly from eternity to time. When I drove in Monday afternoon, 
And I walked in the door. Asher and Nora were both excited and ran up to me and hugged me and hollered pops because they saw me. Because their experience with me is that they can get whatever they want. Because I'm a grandparent and I'm going to do the fun things. So there's excitement. It's, it's judged by seeing me, knowing I'm present, I'm occupying space, and knowing that I'm going to be around for a few days. All these things, and, and they understand that. The reason we struggle so much at death is because we don't really understand our side of this, the triumphant march from time to eternity. That's why Paul says, oh, death, where is your state grave? Where is your victory? Because we still at times judge everything by what we know. But in the same way, God marched from eternity into time. One day, one day, this corruptible will put on incorruptible. One day, we will make that triumphant march from time to eternity. I'm so glad for that. To think that everything that I know about God, even though it is confined in how I can describe Him, by my experiences and my knowledge and my understanding of the laws of this world and by time, there is going to be a greater revelation when I step into a city where there is no need of light for He is the light. Would you lift your hand? Can you just thank him? God, you came from eternity to our world. You who had all power allowed the powers of this world to bring you and judge you and place you upon a cross. But you reminded us, you told us we had a hard time understanding it. Everybody abandons you and runs from you except for John and a few ladies at Calvary. But you said, I laid down my life. And if I laid down this life, I have power to take this life back up. Because I'm not limited by what you know and what your limitations are. And because I march from eternity to time. I'm allowing you to march from time to eternity. 